Citizens of peach trees. This is the law. Disperse immediately, or we will use lethal force to clear the area. Where's that coming from? Over there. Access corridor. You have been warned. You now have 20 seconds to comply. Schlock and All, the double feature podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins. And this week, the apartments are definitely going to need a renovation after this double because we are having a double of Wreck, uh, uh, directed by Paco Plaza and Jamu Balaguerro from 2007, as well as Dread, directed by Pete Travis from 2012. <clears throat> and who's going to help me with this demolition project? Is it, of course, the host of the amazing podcast, VHUS, as well as the co-owner of the amazing Marshall Hoyt Hot um, hot Sauce. I always call it Hoyt for some reason. Um, it is, the, of course, the amazing Dirk Marshall. Hey, how's it going? Hello, Lindsay. How are you? Good. Sorry, I just realized how quirky my voice is. I do have a sore throat that is not COVID-related and, well, at this stage, isn't COVID-related with the two tests I've taken. Um, and I just spent, like, three glorious hours talking to Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast. So my voice may seem a little bit crackly, and if I cough, I apologize. Um, and I know, Dirk, we were just talking about how your voice might be a bit hoarse. So this is going to be a great double, especially for Rick. Yes, I, I just spent the weekend talking to over 80,000 people and uh, <laughs> shouting over DJs playing all sorts of music. And so my, my voice is a little strained as well. And speaking of when you said Marshall's uh, Hoyt sauce, it's pronounced Marshall's Hoyt sauce, but uh, people always just say Marshall's hot sauce for the past 12 years. Uh, but anytime I do an event, I get to watch thousands of people get the joke in front of my face and then usually like to explain it to me. So yes. they'll say, oh, Marshall's hot, ah, hootie, ah, hot a sauce. Mm. Oh, I see what you did there. So you took something that sounds like hot and I'm like, why are you walking me through something I made up 12 years ago? I like to put the, I like to make sure everyone knows this is fancy couture hot sauce right. so everyone knows. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, when you do, it's a sort of that slow smile grin of like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> No, my favorite is the explanation because I'm like, I don't imagine me being surprised then being like, wait, <laughs> what? Oh, I had no idea this whole time for over a decade. Pun not intended. No. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been? How is um, VHUS sounds like it's going gangbusters at the moment. It's really fun. I think I'm finally, I'm in the ninth season. I finally found a groove for, for what I wanted to do and what I needed to do to keep episodes coming. Uh, because the premise of it is that each episode was about a film and that the person who was the uh, guest had the profession portrayed in the film. Mm. And so I um, 
it's really hard because I was convincing complete strangers to then watch a movie, which not everyone watches movies. I know it's shocking when you're I listening know. to a movie podcast. How dare like, they? <clears throat> yeah, there are people that just don't. And so then I'm like, hey, watch this, and then I'm going to ask you about your life. And so sometimes people, it takes a lot of convincing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I spoke to over, uh, honestly, over 20 Santa Clauses before I got one that would speak to me not in persona. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a fun episode, though. Yeah, well, I finally, oh, interesting. Did, mm. I finally did one. Uh, we did uh, Rare Exports and Deadly Games, mm. a double feature uh, with Santa. So you can find that in our in our archives. Mm. But uh, but the hardest part was being rejected by Santa in character for 19 times. That was uh, <laughs> that was really personally challenging. Oh no, um, that's like being on the naughty list. Yeah, it was. It really was. And the, the fact they wouldn't get out of character was so just concerning to me, really. But um. But yeah, it's going great. We now do a regular episode and then a new release late return, which is kind of a casual format where we celebrate things that we currently are enjoying in mm. cinema and books and music and games. So we even get outside of movies and then uh, take a look back at a lesser seen film. Um, yeah, and I'm excited for what's coming up this, this season. I don't want to spoil it, but our next couple episodes are going to be pretty fantastic, if I do say so myself. And no, and plus you've been having familiar faces uh, on there, like Anthony from um, uh, Cult uh, Movies. Sorry, Anthony, and we forgot your podcast. Um, <laughs> your amazing, um, envy-worthy podcast. Um, you've had him on talking about his insane life, um, yes. but you've also on the uh, late returns have had things uh, guys like uh, Mark Blitzer, uh, no, Matt Blitzer and Mark Warner. Sorry, I'm mixing those two up. Yes, I had... Yes, they're both fantastic. I was really glad to get to talk to Mark. And uh, Matt, I was, you know, I got to have him on for Project Metal Beast. That was a treat. And then I just recently got to draft the, or, or sorry, rank the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. did. That's Film Feast. So that was really fun. And I think has tr- caused me such trauma that now whenever I watch something, I have to watch all of them. And then Like Rick, I did say you watched all four Rick movies. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I certainly <laughs> did. And I have my ranking for you later on in this episode. Excellent, because I just saw the first one. Yes, you watched all four movie, Rick movies and had a recommendation. But what I loved about the Film Feast episode, and I did actually nearly snort out some smoothie, was um, Matt has a great thing where he says, asks what you've been watching lately. And because you did the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre, you just rattled off about five chainsaw movies. And I literally was dying because I could see Matt's face when you were doing it. I'll just imagine his face. <laughs> Yeah, I um, I just couldn't help myself. I, I Like I said in his episode, I was going to talk about Driver. I was going to talk about these great cinematic things that are so varied and, uh, you know, not related at all. And then I just looked at pieces and I was like, damn it, I'm going to do it, aren't I? And then I just... By know, the I second wanted... one, I was just dying and I could just see Matt going, is this a bit? And then by the fourth, he's yeah. like, okay, it's a bit. We're doing this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. That was my second one. Yeah, yeah I. Uh, it was, he's he's a good guy. I'm mm. so glad you let me come on. That was a lot of fun. That was that was a, it was a great episode and uh, hot takes are plenty in terms of. <laughs> yes. um, I think it's except for two movies. I think there's only hot takes you can have. <laughs> yeah, maybe three. Yeah, I really think more people should do rank personal rankings. I think that that's like so fascinating to mm. me because there's no right or wrong because it's only one person's you know, opinion, and that mm. comes from their experience and their interactions with all of the different things and whatever set you're talking about, whatever film group. Um, because best to worst, I think, can be, that's where I think people come out of the woodwork to, like, 
freak out and be mean and sling names and whatever but like if you're talking real personal you have to be honest favorites like it killed me to say where texas chainsaw the original was in my ranking like it doesn't <laughs> hurt to say it out loud um but i think if you're being honest with what you're going to go towards the most and if it's not the one that's the classic it's going to be it's going to be hard to reveal yourself in that way, but I think it's... it's well, honestly. yeah, I mean, everyone knows that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a masterpiece, and any on yeah. best list, it's number one. Not because it just started it all, but because it is the best, objectively best movie. And yeah. even Toby Hooper knew that he could not re replicate it, and he didn't even try. I mean, he made no. um, another amazing movie, um, <laughs> which I love, I dearly, dearly love. Um, thank you, Arrow, for sending me the Blu-ray very, very soon. But at the same time, if it's your personal ranking, and I love the way you said, look, I'm just not going to watch this as often. Because it yeah. is a brutal movie. It is a very sad movie. It is a very poignant movie. But if you're in a mood, you're going to watch the sequel um, or the remake. I, I think it's your... Yeah. So there's nothing to be ashamed about. It's not... Um, yeah. It's just fun. I like fun. If you've heard me on yeah. any of the other episodes of Schluck and Awe, you'll know that I enjoy very fun films. I'm not on here often talking about Dancer in the Dark or... <laughs> Or irreversible <laughs> no no <laughs> which i have done which i have talked about it was an interesting conversation but oh god watch that. yeah that's gonna be a while before i watch that movie again because that movie i needed to go out into the sunshine <laughs> yeah and i own a bunch of things that are very disturbing i have to once i see mm. them i'm just like i need to have this as part of my collection because yes so intensely but i'm not gonna watch it every three months like it's just not gonna no no, and Texas Chainsaw is an amazing movie for that because I remember being at an all-night horror marathon and they ended up, I think it was, they ended up showing, it was an insane triple because it was like, um, they started off with Dawn of the Dead, then Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Texas Chainsaw. Then it all went off the rails into some silly stuff, but they had the three masterpieces. <laughs> and I remember this one guy in the front with all the way through friggin' Nightmare was on his phone and it was driving me nuts, but I was too far away to throw something at him. <laughs> um, which I don't throw, I usually just tell them to put away their phone, but I was too far away. Um, that stopped with Chainsaw. Like, that movie just completely... How Nightmare doesn't captivate you, I don't know. But um, Chainsaw absolutely captivated everyone, and everyone was on... Like, nails were crawling down a blackboard, because that movie is so effective and so brilliant in that way. Um, but I would love to see a crowd with Chainsaw, too, because I think... Um, yeah. To see their oh, reaction yeah. to that movie, I think, would be amazing. It would be a, uh, wait, what? <laughs> kind of thing, especially when you have poor, um, what's her name, uh, wearing someone else's face or um, yeah. the face doing things with a chainsaw. It's it's with her leg. It's it's incredible. Yeah, they just did at our uh, theater, Hollywood Theater, they did mm. Critters 2 uh, with Mick Garris in the audience. And they do like an adult um, like Easter egg hunt where they hide like Easter eggs with I guess little liquor bottles and things in yeah. them and things around the theater and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I would love to have seen that. Unfortunately, I was working at an event, but um, I love the idea of screenings and things like that. Not the one so much where you throw spoons and toilet paper in the audience, but like. Well, that's specifically you... for the room, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> people are just excited to see a film and willing to laugh and go along with that. I think that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, and both those movies are kind of good for that reason. But no, that was a great episode. If you haven't, please check out. If you haven't already, the Film Feast episode with Dirk and Matt, uh, trying to figure out the timelines for um, all the Chainsaw movies, because okay. um, it is hilarious and wonderful. And you just almost have to take each movie as its own thing, because otherwise trying to figure out that timeline just gets way too confusing. Oh, yeah. I would need like four more years of college to at least understand the timeline there. 
<laughs> and you, the people think Halloween's confusing. I'm like, oh, you have not seen Texas. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, with that, we might as well get into a... Speaking of uh, impactful movies that feel like someone's crawling down a... Your fingers down the chalkboard in the most... In the best way possible. Um, we're going to go for Rack. Now, as I like to imagine, with that we're sitting in a theatre, possibly with liquor bottles hiding around. I haven't decided yet. Um... <laughs> What would you choose as your first trailer for Rack? Okay, so first I chose Willow Creek from 2013, directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. I've never felt this way about anyone. It's about 29 miles north of here, you come to the bottom of Bluff Creek. We're here! <laughs> We're here. When you get in there, it's a steep canyon, there's a running creek, there's forest, it's thick, and you're gonna feel how isolated they were. Kelly, come here! The real truth of it is you're out in the middle of nowhere. How do we know we're going in the right direction? You don't want to be in the movie, and now you're Stanley fucking Kubrick. Turn off the camera. There's a lot of people uh, living back in these woods, and they just don't like other people in their business. Turn that fucking thing okay, off. Okay, let's go, Jim. See Bye. the buckshot on the sign? What is my sock doing in the tree? People don't want us to come out here, so people are probably fucking with us. Perfect. Oh my god, this is this is a brilliant, brilliant choice. I'm, I can't believe I didn't think of this one. <laughs> yeah, so I did an episode on this one with a Bigfoot enthusiast, which mm. he does not like this film, and he did not want to do it, and I convinced him to do it against his will, basically. <laughs> but, so, this this film, I love Bobcat, Bobcat Goldthwait's films. I find he's always trying something new, at least for himself, and finding challenges, and whether mm. it's content, like World's Greatest Dad, or in this film where there's a 14 minute one shot, which is like just genius, but it's a, it's, you know, documentary style, it's found footage, it's, um, it's funny. I love the idea that he inserts humor into it. So it's not just, sometimes we see these films where it's just people who are so unlikable and, you know, it's harsh, it's hard to see the film, it's shaky mm. and it's just, uh, he does a really great job with this, and I think it's a nice way to start off an evening that's going to be tense at times, but also going to be fun. Um, yeah, this is a great, great choice. I was really surprised. I think I saw this movie before I knew who directed it, um, and the fact that it was Bob, uh, Bob uh, Goldthwait surprised me because I only knew him from Police Academy. When Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I didn't even know he was a director, and then it said, wait, is that the Police Academy guy? And I've heard interviews when he's talked about that, saying, yeah, I did a thing in the 80s. People found it funny, and then they stopped finding it funny very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I had to figure out something else to do. Um, and he goes, but I had enough money behind me that I could go do what I wanted, and that was direct. And, yeah, it's it's really fascinating, interesting movies. They are not movies I always love, like uh, Shaky the Clown, I think. Did he Jake's do that? Clown. Yeah, clown. that was his first one. It's not my favorite either, but it's. I think he was trying a more straightforward comedy. Yeah. After that, he stops trying to like invert like the idea of a clown being problematic to like actually things like world's not world's greatest dad. Um, Welcome to America. Have you seen that one? No, I've only seen Willow Creek and okay. uh, Shakes. Yeah. So Welcome to America. The opening scene is so great because it involves someone basically skeet shooting a baby with a shotgun. And it's one of those opening sequences where you, the director's literally being like, if you're not okay with this. You're not, not gonna, gonna be okay, okay with the rest of the movie, yeah. Yeah, that and it's 
so good. It's an, it's very, you know, it's, it's indie, it's lower budget, but the things that he says and does, it's just, it's the type of filmmaker that I love to celebrate. No, and he is. I think these are the kind of, well, sorry, I'm going to be referring back to Ryan, who I was just recording with before, that um, there are certain filmmakers that I think we should celebrate because either they're really solid or they're doing something interesting. And I think Goldthwait is always one of those directors that is always doing something interesting, even if you don't like the movie that you're watching. Um, and he's kind of a little stinker, so I can imagine someone who really, the enthusiast, the big third enthusiast not wanting to watch this movie because this is a um, a kind of a well, careful what you wish for kind yeah. of poking fun at Bigfoot Hunters kind of thing. Yeah, and there are some real ones folded in there, which reminded me that uh, I wanted to mention up top the film The Connection from, I think it's 1963. Do you mm -hmm. know this one? No. 61, 61, I think. 61, yeah. directed by Shirley uh, Clark. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've only seen one Shirley Clark movie, so. Oh, which one? Uh, Dar Jason, Diary of Jason? Jason? Yeah, Portrait yeah. of Jason. Portrait of Jason, yeah. Yeah, so Portrait of Jason was 67, so this mm. is six years before that. It's her first feature, and it was uh, based on a play. And the thing mm. that's interesting about this is because a lot of people think that the Blair Witch in 99 was the first found footage movie. But I know that seems insane to some of us, but it's clearly not. Man Bites Dog was, what, 92? Mm -hmm. That's amazing, yeah. so disturbing. Um, but this is 1961, I think it's the first one. And it's, like I said, based on a play, but the, the interesting thing about it is, while it could be classified as the first um, found footage film, it's also making commentary on um, cinema verite which as we know is like the style of documentary filmmaking where people are inserting themselves into the film to heighten tension. Yes. And so it's like, it's really, it gives me goosebumps thinking about like the connective tissue between these two because Cinema Verte discussed in collegiate classes and scholars and people dissecting this stuff and found footage is looked as like this bargain basement trash. Yes. It like, doesn't receive respect. But they also, I mean, there's elements within found footage of Cinema Verde. It's just, it's a whole other podcast thing, but I just wanted to credit uh, Shirley Clark because I think uh, as a filmmaker, Shirley has done some incredible documentaries. Um, there's the jazz one. Oh, gosh. There's the one of the junkie, heroin junkies that I've been trying to track down. Am I thinking well, of? The Connection is the heroin junkie. Oh, yeah. is that the Connection? Oh, yes. That's the Connection. Yeah. Uh, the Cool World is... Uh, is another jazz musician one that was 63 so that's two years later that one's really good i mm. if anthony is listening and he hasn't seen the cool world i bet he would really thoroughly enjoy that um i think I he didn't like silly uh shirley, i think he'd like her uh as um shirley clark a lot actually um yeah, yeah i think that would be right up anthony's alley and i just think that there's like something to be said about the experimental approach to what mm. she was doing with like dance and jazz and who she was choosing to film um the idea of like seeing the world through different lenses because she was an outsider felt like an outsider and she was doing stories about people whose voices weren't being ever amplified at the time um it's just i think something that i just wanted to mention because uh i i feel like the artwork and effort, or not even artwork, but the the cinematic pieces, the things that are going into making these films, the small details and everything are overlooked because everyone goes, well, anyone can pick up a camera and make these, you know, found footage yes. movies. But if you, I watched the making of Wreck and 
it seemed exhausting just to get one sequence of a zombie biting a person. It's not like just run over here and do this thing. It was no, there is some painfully good stuff in there in terms of even when you're talking about sort of shaky cam, that is used to such good effect yeah. in Wreck that when you can't see something, it is the most terrifying because you're purposely being obscured. Oh. It's so manipulative um, in such a great way, yeah. It's, it's so manipula manipulative in that way. I mean, this whole movie is manipulative in the best way possible. Just the way yeah, it shifts shifts your allegiances and things. Uh, we'll get into it, but yeah. Yeah, I, sorry. I think I'm sidebarring from what your first trailer is. <laughs> um, my first trailer, yes. Uh, ba -ba -ba. I am, okay, I'm not going to do my, actually, you know what, my first one. I'm going to go for the China Syndrome. James Bridges from 1979. In anything that man ever does, there's some element of risk, right? Well, that's why we have what we call defense in depth. And cares too much to lie. No accident. It will start with a tremor in a nuclear power plant. Where it will end will depend on three people. I would say you're probably lucky to be alive. Same for the rest of Southern California. Jane Fonda. Let's face it, you didn't get this job because of your investigative abilities. Kimberly, don't fight it. Jack Lemmon. There was a vibration. Michael Douglas. I don't know that accident is the right word. Accident is the right word. The China Syndrome. The harder they try, the more resistance they meet. They've got their own security man. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you want me to make it any clearer? <laughs> Uh, Michael Douglas plays a reporter who goes into a nuclear facility, a power, power plant that may or may not be something shady happening and he's got to decide whether whether or not he's going to actually show the truth or not show the truth. It's very cynical 70s. It's very much in the vein of um, Alan Palooka kind of um, conspiracy um, thrillers um, as in Clute and Parallax um, view. It is maybe not as good as Parallax but holy hell does this go into some dark places yeah that's excellent and i mean what is as good as parallax i don't <laughs> no there is nothing i don't know <laughs> i mean and, and to be honest in the china syndrome michael douglas feels like a um bargain basement version of warren Beatty in that moment yeah. oh. um which he's not he's his own thing but in that moment it's just like okay we need this kind of actor to do this kind of thing and um but it is very, very, very good. It is, and as I said, it's very 70s cynical. So it will, um, you will not feel great after finishing this movie, but it is actually really, <laughs> but I do have a thing for 70s thrillers and uh, this is uh, this is a great one. Yeah, that is excellent. Uh, my second trailer, uh, my first one was a little fun, welcoming people to the evening. My second one, not as much fun. I went with Right at Your Door from 2007. Love you. Try saying. Interrupt your regular programming for a KDHP emergency news break. Multiple explosive devices were detonated across Los Angeles moments ago. I have just received word that there was just another explosion at Los Angeles International Airport. Another explosion. People are scattered all over the street. Go home. Sir, my wife is downtown. I'm not giving you a choice. Anyone within a three-mile radius to see and close themselves off from external air. If someone who is near one of the blasts approaches your home, refrain from contact. Ooh, what's this one? 
So this is a film with Mary McCormick and Rory Cochran. Mm -hmm. uh, a dirty bomb goes off downtown. And so Rory Cochran's at home. Mary McCormick is downtown. And so they're told, like, tape off all your doors and windows. Don't have contact with people. There's something in the air. This is 2007. So we've Ooh. been through a lot since then. Yes. But even when I saw this, when it came out, it's, it is a tense film. And it's something where you're, it's very performance driven. It's a man in a house. He, he encounters a couple people outside, one of which is the return of his wife. And it's the decision of, do I ladder back in? Mm. Do, are, am I going to die? Is she going to die? What, and then what he's hearing from, you know, radio things. It could be an excellent play, but as a film itself, it plays out very tense. Mm. And it really kind of sets the stage for what we're about to go into. I, you know, that sounds amazing. As usual, you throw me a movie that I had not come across yet, and now I am... I do want to see this on Chepredacious. Those kind of decision ones of do you let your loved one die or do you save them or you do kill your both is um, is a hard movie to watch. Um, yes. Even I find yes. the end of Miracle Mile heartbreaking, um, yes. even though that movie is about finding your love and being with it to the very end, literally. Um, and I find that movie <laughs> difficult. Um, so this one sounds amazing, but whew, that sounds stressful. Much like yes. Rack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, my second trailer, I am actually going to go for another found footage, but I'm going through an anthology, so I am going VHS uh, the 94, the latest, from last year. Could be no one left alive in here. Do I just press the button? Press the red button. Just press it. I assume they're paying extra for this. Yes. This is a remarkable story. Hello? Hello? This is the only VHS movie I've seen. Um, but I actually had a blast with this. There are some really great imaginative um, stuff going on, um, mainly because you have uh, Timo Timajur, I can't say his name, he directed The Raid, which may or may not come up when we talk about Dread, um, doing one of the most <laughs> inventive um, ways of using um, found footage I have, and the, the plot behind it for a while which feels very reminiscent of something that happens in Wreck, though not to the extent of what that, that sequence is. And also Hell Ratma. Yes, we all hail Ratma. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it was fun. Um, I, you have talked so eloquently about the basis of Cinema Verite and how it fits in with found footage, but how some reason, um, because people thought it was so um, easy to do that they never gave it credit for what it was actually doing, mm -hmm. And I think like any genre, there are amazing examples of found footage. And I think there's some real shite. Yes. As for found footage, like any genre, you're going to find that. I don't know why found footage got kind of blasted with um, with that one thing, because there's so much you can kind of you can kind of deal with it. Um, and VHS is one of those things where it shows you. Yeah, we'll show you some really great ones. We'll show you some OK ones. Um, but they're all using found footage in a really distinctive and different way. And once we get into Wreck, you are really going to see um, how 
you want to... I mean, yeah, this is a fake documentary. It is a horror movie. It is all kinds of things. And it... Yeah, so no, VHS is uh, my um, trailer, and it's... Um, I, yeah, I absolutely had a hoot with it. So, yeah. That's excellent, because then you get, like, a bunch of different flavors of yes. found footage before you're actually going to watch the film. That's mm. an excellent way to kind of warm them up for it. Because there's, yeah. like, so many different things you can do with it. Um, one of the reasons I love this franchise, I guess is what we call it, uh, is uh, is the connective tissue between the four films and the different things that they introduce because it, the original people are involved in different ways through all four of them. Are all so, four of them found footage or? So let's talk about that. The first one <laughs> is, yes, we'll talk about one. Two uh, picks up right after one and yep. introduces head cameras. So then we have more perspectives to see things mm. from but it's essentially uh i mean a smaller cast but and they descend back on the same building yeah but there are ways in which they expand upon it and then the third one which is set in a wedding and so you have somebody with a handheld camcorder that's a teenager you have a steady cam introduced so that he can walk around and get smooth shots yeah so we're getting around the shaky cam and they're just <laughs> doing it in your face um it's super smart. One of the people at the wedding was at the dog clinic, which is discussed in the first film. Yes, so that's yep. how the films are connected. Um, there's night vision introduced in this film. Uh, and then four starts off with audio of news coverage of the first film. Mm. We see a different SWAT team enter the, home, the building to plant devices to explode it. And they find the female lead Angela from the first film. She's alive. I did read the plot, and it did sound like it was going into some Resident Evil territory with, with that one. Yeah, and then that one is all, um, with the exception of a couple hallway cameras, which aren't used to force to further the narrative, mm. um, it's all just classic cinematography. Okay, yeah. And in the third one, it's the handheld cameras until literally someone smashes the camera, and you see the rec light go out, and then it transitions to traditional narrative cinematography. Um, it, it's so thoughtfully done that mm. when you transition, like as a film nerd, you just go, nice, <laughs> I really like this. Rather than being like, oh, you can't do that. It's just like, oh, they just did it. They just broke the camera in front of you and then moved on to, it's yeah. really great. Before we really dive into Rec, um, how big a fan of the found footage, because I, th I guess it's now turned into its own genre, whether it's been kind of um put in jail genre jail or something it's been kind of delegated to its own little thing um are you a fan in general of the found footage style or is it just certain movies that you found that you prefer well, i think for a lot of people like we've already kind of discussed mm. like you you encounter shaky cam unlikable characters poor script choices mm. just bad acting um unlikable people there's so many characteristics of things that pop up when you say found footage that it's <laughs> I think you really have to look at it from film to film <clears throat> because um because I was I was listening to someone talk the other day about slasher movies and they didn't like slasher movies but then the more they talked about them they kept naming movies that were slasher movies that they oh liked. you sure this wasn't me because I did the exact same thing no same it wasn't thing you <laughs> but, I, but I was just like I don't I don't think you dislike the entire genre because there's some films that you do like so it's like I think sometimes we have to discuss the specifics of films in a genre. So for me, I don't seek out found footage, but I love Willow Creek. I love Wreck. Um, 
I'm trying to think of other ones. Oh, Horror House is a good one from, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lake Mungo, yeah. Lake Mungo is, I mean, that's both great and not something I want to watch every day. I really find it comforting. I don't know why, because that movie's... Oh, really? Yeah. Like, that, yeah, it's such a bummer, and that final shot rivals anything in, in Iraq, but, so, um, yeah. oh, my God. No, it's... Um, no, I think I agree with you, because I'm guilty of doing this a lot. Like, I would say, oh, I'm not a big fan of slashes, though I could rattle off 15 movie, slasher movies that I generally love. Right, um, yeah. And, I think we all have that. Yeah. So I had to go, no, I think I actually like slasher movies. I don't like every single one I've seen, but I generally do like the the premise and i think you're right i think as people think here you say it's a found footage they instantly think of shaky cam uh, very cheap uh cheaply made because they yeah. could be yep um and also um yeah questionable script choices where you're like why are they still holding the camera there'd be yeah. a point i mean something like when you watch host is really great because they're on zoom and yeah there's a point where your friends are in danger but you can't go to them so you keep on screen like that i totally believe um but there are, i've seen some where i'm like okay i would have turned that camera off like about half an hour ago um yeah i would not be filming i would not be filming this there's only one point in wreck where i went what i have the camera on but then the whole point is that you film every, the state's yeah, very yeah. first one of the first lines in the movie is we have to film everything Yeah, yeah, because they're a, a news crew. Mm. Um, but I love that you mentioned the ho uh, host because that film really pushes that the genre in a different direction because of how technology was at the time. Yes. And I think both the movies we're talking about, while they're not both found footage, they both are pushing their genre in a direction that I think is really admirable. Mm. So it's, you know, it's far beyond the funny things that we were thinking like, ah, it is, this is, this is a good double. This is, yeah. Risk. There's actually, the more I delve into it, the more I was like, yeah, I really have such respect for these filmmakers that we're discussing today. Oh, yeah, me too. Because um, I think one of the directors, is it Jamu, the one I can't pronounce? Um, Jamu Bagalero also made a movie I've been trying to track down called something with, ah, oh, I can't, While You Were Sleeping, um, which is not the, quite the title, but it's about an awful super of an apartment who basically stalks and possibly kills his the people living in the apartment or he's doing some shady oh, stuff I've seen that. yeah neither have i i know it's by one of these guys um or at least he was involved so um it, i re cause there's a few spanish horror movies i'm like i really need to get my hands on some of these because i am starting to become a huge fan of what's coming out of spain in the last 40 50 years same some of my favorites for sure pieces oh, included say, yeah <laughs> My uh, my ranking for the Rex series is it goes uh, one, yep. three, four, and two. And it's not that four and two aren't good films. It just depends on your mood because two has less humor, four has more kind of adventure and action.
but three, if anybody is like, I don't know, like three is really, really great and very fun and it has humor involved and, and it's, it goes for it. It goes, it shows you some things you haven't seen before for sure. Oh, I was surprised how funny Rick could be, even though yeah. it is an incredibly dark movie. Yeah. Um, but we might as well just really jump into, when was the first, I, this is the first time I've seen Rick, so I'm still new to the Rick series. When was the first time you saw Rick? I saw it in the theater. Um, so when it was when it came out and I was shocked. I mean, I loved everything I was seeing from around the world. I was just so hungry for cinema that wasn't from here. Mm. And uh, I felt like Rec was like my favorite of the genre when it came out. Uh, I think for many of the things that we'll be discussing about the, the choices and, and moves that they make with this film, it really blew me away. And then I was excited when I saw there was a second one um, and then the way that they, you know, connected it with such care, but then did something new and then the third one and then the fourth. So I was like, I, I got to own the whole set of this. <laughs> like, I just need it. So that's, that's my history with Rec. Um, yeah, my history is I saw it yesterday and nice. um, <laughs> I loved it. No, I was so surprised. I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, but this movie kind of, kind of surprised me because it's only an hour and 18 um, yeah. minutes, which means Matt, you'll like this movie if you haven't seen it already. Um, <laughs> so that's a running joke now. Even when I was talking with Keith, we were like, oh, this movie's not like an hour and ten. Oh, Matt's going to love it. Um, it's, it's, um, but yes, you see watching it and you're just like, okay, yep, normal fan footage, girl in a firehouse being clearly bored that, and these very awkward conversations she has to have with um, these different firemen about how exciting is your job? Yeah, we're just hanging out in the dining room waiting for something to happen um and then something does happen and it is um kind of incredible what happens after it the way this movie ramps up tension but kind of uses tropes i mean i love how this isn't complete this isn't a complete it is and it isn't a zombie movie like i think there could be arguments to say these aren't zombies um but they are kind of zombies um kind of like 28 days later but as soon as you see that little girl you're like I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I think I know where this yeah. is going to go. <laughs> and I like how it plays those tropes of like, I've seen a few zombie movies before. I think I know what's going to happen as soon as yeah. you meet those first characters. I love in the very beginning of it that she, you know, you're seeing all these moments um, that are cut out of news footage. So you're seeing the retakes of lines and you're yes. seeing, and we just jump right in. There's no credits. We just mm. go right in, which I think is so smart. There's parts where people look right at the camera yeah. and you, that doesn't exist, you know, in movies. So you're watching a movie where they're like acknowledging that us as an audience are watching them. And it's just, it's so clever. Um, and then I, like I said, I watched the making of, and it's this whole sequence where the lady is going to bite the man's neck. She's sort of alert, like an yeah. older lady and a moo moo. And it's like all of the care that went into all of these people looking like they don't really know what's about to happen. And they got a practical effect and all this like, it's really, really impressive. And it just made me like look at this film and let alone some of the other entries in the genre is like, oh my gosh, like it, this is so painstaking. And that's probably why there's such a stark difference between the ones that are like, oh, I get this. And they're just going through the paces and the people that like took it and push it into new areas. Yes. This one does the way it kind of builds a doles out information is absolutely fascinating because all you know is that she's tagging along with these firemen 
you know that there is um, someone that they have to save in an apartment building, which is why they don't use their siren because yeah. love actually calls it an alarm. You know, the, yes. the alarm, <laughs> you know, then you turn on. Um, she's And the fact that she's very young, so she's very inexperienced. So this is meant to be a puff piece. This isn't meant to be some hard-hitting um, uh, investigative report reporting. No. Um, this And everything is just going along the motions until they see the woman they're meant to save and she's kind of rabid and you don't quite see what's happening. All you kind of see is this older woman covered in blood, screaming her head off, but you don't um, know exactly. Those are bits and pieces you're inferring. You kind of get that information later on when you see her again because um, she will not die. <laughs> no. And there's a, there's a, there's a, something about this film. I love when there's um, just an image that gets stuck in your brain. Mm. And for me, one of the things that will, I, I will know this movie for a, like in a half a second, if you show me the door frame and the gate mm. to this apartment complex. Because once things happen and they go down and it's told that they can't leave, it's like so such a bummer because they like need to get out, but they can't, they're being forced to stay in there. And on a rewatch, just as they approached the gate, I was like, oh, damn it. Like, this, <laughs> this part is so hard. Because um, there's a lot of people, because they're trying to get two injured people out who have been bitten by this older woman. Um, the fact that you never get a good glimpse of her is so effective. She's always this kind of shaky, spectral yeah. image that coming at you, screaming her head off. Um, I do like it. Every time they turn into demons, they're moving too quickly for the camera to catch. Yeah. Um, because you wouldn't be able to film something if that was really happening. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to. That's what it would look. Yeah, that's what it would look like. Um, and there's quite a few people because everyone's come down to the lobby. Everyone's really concerned. There's a screaming going on in this apartment. You so that's when you first meet everyone, and then you find out you cannot leave. And they're not telling them anything. They just say, "Stay in. You need to stay in here." And everyone's like, "Going, I don't want to stay in here though." Um, yeah. And it is. It's, I know movies have changed since 2020 for me. Um, and that's kind of one of those moments of you being just locked inside and not being able to go out. But usually it's because the world has something in it, like the trailer you were using. Yeah. Someone said, if a dirty bomb, you can't go outside. This one, you're in with it. You are stuck in with something dangerous. And because it's so dangerous, they are not letting you out. And they're not even telling you. Because if they told you, I mean, they find out. But if they told you straight away, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, you've got zombies um, yeah. in your, your apartment building they would be clawing out to get out and it's so i love how the terror is kind of on a constant boil that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter until you sort of get to the the top apartment and you realize actually what is happening and it's yeah yeah and, and they announce like over the loudspeaker uh you gotta listen to the police officer that's in there already and you see his face when they say that and he's like what the what <laughs> like he like he's not ready for them to be putting that out there and he's, and he's not, not he doesn't know what it, he's not good at it he doesn't know why no. he's there and he's suddenly just he's screaming at people um to to shut up because he's like i this i this is not my job <laughs> Oh, and everyone's super stressed. And I really like that it's not like The Mist where there's like somebody in the movie that you really hate and it just stresses you out. They're just people. Mm. And it's so clever because as each person gets infected or whatever, then they become this rabid thing. But because you've been introduced to that character, when they show up, that 
zombie, if we're going to use that word, mm. has like an identity to it. Yeah. See, like, the mustache of that dude or whatever that lady was wearing. And it's like, it's such a cool way to double use uh, actors because you're like, oh, now they're the enemy. Even yeah. before they were this sweet little old man, you know? Yeah. Oh, I do love the interviews that. Um, I think they're trying to make a bad situation. And uh, Angela is constantly screaming, we need to film this. People have a right to know because they're, yeah. and it's purely because they're not being told anything. Um, I think is half the reason why she's getting so, plus I think she sees this as her chance of, oh, I'm in the middle of an actual story. I can actually, um, she's thinking, oh, this is a story. I can use this and I'm scared and that, cause they're not telling me anything. So there's a few, she conveys that really well, but when she sort of calms down again and she's like, okay, I'm just going to interview people, see what they're like. And then you think that's when they give personalities to each of the different people. And yeah. you first start hearing about the dog um and the, who's at the vet which becomes very very important um mm -hmm. you meet the different people and sort of one's like oh, of course it's the chinese i'm like oh of course there's always one guy in the building who's like it's all the um immigrants yeah. fault it's racist, like old racist guy yeah yeah old racist guy who lasts a long time i have to admit um and then yeah, play with your expectations a lot as far as the cast in this yes movie. um and yeah but you're right every single time they turn into zombies you already know them. Like when the policeman turns yeah. into a zombie, when you finally see um, the um, Manu, who's the head fireman, I think, or the main fireman mm. in this, when he turns into a zombie, I'm like, oh, not him. I liked him. He was kind of the only one who kind of had a clue about what to, to, to yeah, do. Yeah, he was great. He was a good yeah. And then they're just like, nope. Uh, and I, they just keep doing that using different like film conventions and things. I love that it stops and rewinds and we see something and then like you're just like when i saw this I, there's so much of me and i just remember it was going oh you can do that oh oh okay and when like the whole image drops out but we still are getting audio i was so like out of my seat uncomfortable and just like you sons of bitches like yes. i didn't know that you could do this and you're doing it and like i just i felt like they were having fun putting us through those paces and just like what an intense ride it was i don't know it, it really does speaking of the re rewind moment i didn't think you could do that either when she said because she wants to have a look at the yeah. older the older lady who will not i just call her the lady who will not die because she comes back like t twice right. after this like she comes back again and you're like we keep shooting you stop it um but she was like oh can you rewind it back i need to see it because i don't believe what i've just seen yeah she saw somebody killed in front of her she's yeah. seen like death yeah. She saw death and she's like, I don't believe, I got to see that again. I can't believe this. And mm. so we as an audience, it's rewound and shown to us again. It's so wild. And yeah. It works. Yeah. And the fact, because I was sort of speaking before, like the found footages movies, I don't like. There's always a point where I'm like, put down the camera, run away. There's no point in you filming this that I know when logically someone would put down the camera. Um, like you were talking about the third, is it the third movie where they just stop using the camera and it's now just normal traditional Great. because yeah. there's a point where it has to, that it would just stop. Um, you don't really feel that with Rick. There was a little bit toward the end when they're actually running up to the penthouse where I'm like, wouldn't you have it recording? But then I realized I don't think he's holding it normally. I think he's just holding it and hasn't turned it off. Um, right. there's a few points where he looks down and shows certain things, but I think he's just so used to holding it that he's just yeah yeah and but then they kind of use it as one um for for light source um yep. because they don't have light anymore so cameras running and then um 
when it breaks and Angela's just like losing her mind because they're in pitch darkness but then he turns on the the night vision and ah, ah. (laughs) it's so good one of the subtle things that I really love is there's a point where the camera is turned off like Mm. everything's screeching halt stop and the next thing we see is a close up of the little girl who we realize has turned the camera on because she's messing with it on the floor and then she goes back and sits on the stairs and then a man walks up and his shoe is in the foreground so we can kind of see her we know she's there and there's a conversation happening and it's like such a weird way of structuring this shot but it's like you your brain understands everything that's happened it's so interesting to me. yeah the fact that it's sort of playing with the idea of when they would actually film something and when they wouldn't film something um because angela's sort of going no we need to keep filming this don't touch my camera don't catch my camera guy with a press we're going to keep filming and then it's like actually no some shit's happening so i need to figure this out okay stop the camera little girl turns it back on because she's screwing with it because you're a kid bored you're not feeling well because you're about to turn into child zombie um <laughs> as i said i've seen night of i've seen night of the living dead um and it's kind of and so yeah she's you're gonna mess with this camera and then it turns back on again then you get more information then angela starts to interview people then things start getting really crazy with um uh when the men who were very very ill are now turning into for the lack of a better word zombies um yeah. possessed demononic zombies um mm. And it's just, yeah, it's really clever. And the way it's using the form is really inventive because it keeps changing it. And the the different angles that a camera would be used in certain situations, the thought about it. It's not just someone holding a camera and being snarky behind it. Um, Cloverfield, I'm looking at you. Um, Oh, snap. (laughs) um, It's literally, okay, so if we were actually in the situation, where would the camera be? Who would be holding it? And why would it be on? They're usually thinking about that process yeah. which i really appreciated and it made it 10 times more disturbing yeah oh i agree there's a sequence where like because the, the stakes just keep getting higher in mm. this movie and there's a part where the mother after the daughter has turned into whatever she's turned into uh has escaped and run upstairs howling and screaming as mm. everything does in this movie uh and so they handcuff the mom to the staircase mm-hmm. and, and all of these things are trying to come through this gate and the firefighters trying to get the gate down which normally you're like okay the stakes are high because if they get through we're all gonna die but then you also have this woman who quite possibly is fine handcuffed to a staircase and she can't move from there and you're just like oh my god like this is really brutal and all you see is her screaming because you realize someone's come up behind it but you again do not get the full shot this is like um Blair Witch, where the camera was re- not was a kind of a rough idea of what Rick would turn into, but kind of being really clever on what sh- you showed and what you didn't show and what you showed half of. Like you just see things at different angles. Yeah. Because there's the as the kids get more panic in the woods, they are um, literally just not really paying attention to how they're framing a shot, and this yeah. is very much this especially in toward the probably last um 15 30 minutes uh, 15 20 minutes when all hell is broken loose they've kind of realized that oh shit we're an apartment full of uh, um, rage creatures um yes. who are now super strong who all now just want to eat us um and now we now that pace is picking up and you can tell someone's kind of holding the camera and running but they haven't 
had time to even turn it off. It's um, it's really, really effective. And you're just like going, oh, God, oh, when you realize, oh, wait, these are kind of zombies. Oh, wait, they're super strong. Oh, wait, they're hungry. Oh, no. Now, yeah. now we're in the penthouse, and that's just a whole other layer of what the fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's right before they get chased up into the penthouse, there's a part where the cameraman has to set the camera down to strangle somebody to death. Mm. It's like... You, your brain is filling in the blanks of the the violence that's happening, but it's just so smart because it's like, we know what's, but they're not showing, but what they are showing, and it's, I love it. It's so good. It's so good. It's so effective. Like, I, you just sit on the couch, and I'm like, I'm so glad this movie's only an hour and 18 minutes, because if I had to sit through 90 minutes of this movie, I don't know if I could handle it i mean there are movies like this um i've already mentioned the raid which is just as intense but because it's actual physical action of people being amazing martial artists there's a propulsion that i want to keep watching if this was 90 minutes i think i would get too nauseous and too stressed that i'd go it's like green room it's like i had to pause green room walk around realize that no neo nazi punks were out to get me and uh okay i can finish the rest of this movie now um but I could finish Wreck in one go. Like, I didn't have to double-check that there wasn't a, a zombie by my stairs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a film like this, since they know what it is and they know what they want to make, you don't ever want to have a point where your roller coaster becomes either boring or redundant. Yes. And so they keep reinventing, keep introducing things, keep us on our toes, keep audio drops, visual drops, until they drop us into that classic Silence of the Lambs night vision where we're just like, what? Like, I, again, didn't know you were going to do this to us. And I the- forgot because it's a famous image from this movie. Is famous it that last shot. Yeah. Because yeah. um, well, it made in the States is quarantine. A yes. far, like, less, less, ugh, not, not great. Uh, but that, the cover of the poster was the spoiler of the film on how <laughs> it ended. Like, it was like. Uh, you clearly don't get it at all, but no, it's um, yeah. it's a it's a captivating shot. But if that is how you end your movie, and you've already, and that's what people, you kind of that's how you're selling it. It's kind of like, wait, was that the last shot? Um, it's it's insane. Um, but yeah, when you get that night vision, um, Angela has completely, and um, Pablo, I think, is the cameraman, have completely lost it. Yeah, they are just, um. They are no longer caring about the fact that they are reporters. They are no longer caring about the fact that this might be a story that needs to be told. They are just literally, I don't want to die. I've had to do some shit. I've had to, I've seen some things I don't think I will ever unsee. I don't understand it. Now I'm trapped in a dark, um, a blacked out penthouse where you find out, spoilers, big spoilers for Rick, which this was the part that blinds out reason why I love this movie. A, um that they're actually in a mad scientist's apartment who has been experimenting with like demon spit or whatever the hell he's doing and that's yeah um and it's so fascinating and then gives this movie this extra kind of oh so this just isn't a zombie movie of people running around getting bitten by these creatures there's actually some deep mythology to this and it's even more terrifying than if there was a disease, a dog bit a little girl, and now it's spreading all over the building. It is literally, oh no, this is this is the depths of hell coming out, and it's yeah. um, it's kind of incredible. It also makes you very weary of uh, the crawl spaces in the ceiling. 
There's mm. like something involving a hatch where mm. it's just like, well, fuck that forever. I'm yes. As soon as that hatch popped over, I'm like, don't go up there. I'm going to go up there. Don't. <laughs> uh, every year now, when I look at where we keep our Christmas ornaments, I'll be like, well, she's up there just banging around in the dark. Oh my god, she is uh, just absolutely terrifying. Um, it kind of reminds it's kind of almost like a reverse Evil Dead. Because um, she's playing right. the tape recorder. Yeah. And there's all these things that this person's doing, which happens at the beginning of Evil Dead, because he right. plays the tape that reads the Book of the Dead, um, and the demon de Demites come out to, to play. This is kind of the reverse. This is this guy's been middling around, made whatever his, was his daughter, or is it his... Who was she exactly? I can't remember. You know, I they just refer to her as a little girl. I don't know. Yeah, you don't. He's got this little girl, and he's experimenting, experimenting on. It. It's not good. And now this thing gone throughout the the, the building. And um, I love the fact that it's just set in one building, um, and that's the world you're in. This isn't except for where you're at the fireman. There's nothing outside of this this building, mm -hmm. and so it's 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 a kind of incredible. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it it works start to finish. I think it's it's nice and lean, like you said. It's there's no fat on here. It just gets going, keeps it moving until it reaches the climax, and then you're just like, oh, oh gosh, wow. Or if you're like me, you're like, let's watch three more. <laughs> I would. I definitely gonna watch the other three, but I'm gonna take a break because after that one, I just kind of stared at the screen and went. I'm not going to watch Dread yet. I'm going to wait a day. I think I need yeah. some space because that final image and just the scream is, and this movie has a lot of screaming on it. It's not like oh a quiet movie. It's it's a lot of screaming, but to have that final image and just to have a poor Angela being dragged away and then that's it, you're like, oh, it literally ends because there's nothing else to film. Yeah. <laughs> no one holding and, the camera. And two, like while, while it does come up with some new like technological ways to, to tell the story it is very akin to the first one mm. so i wouldn't watch the two back to back because it's it's more of the similar flavor mm. where three you could go in not knowing any of the other films and have a great time standalone um and then the way that they invert it from being or move mm. on from found footage to not the use of humor it's very colorful also so i, I can't talk enough about wreck three which I think is called... What is, it? is it Apocalypse or Genesis? Genesis is three, Apocalypse is four, even though it's Apocalypse is just on a boat. So I don't know. We could have just called it Wreck for Boat. No, that's what kind of reminded me of the Resident... I did have Resident Evil as a trailer because I was like going... These are very different movies and filmed in completely different ways, but the fact... I read the plot for the fourth one, which is like, Angela wakes up after being bitten. And right. there are things happening. I'm like... That seems a very similar plot to one of the Resident Evil movies I've seen. <laughs> also, if you took Wreck and Dread and smash them together, you might get Resident Evil or something very Actually, similar. Actually, you that. might. Right? Yeah. Like silly costumes and crazy over-the-top antics. Yeah. 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 No, you absolutely right. Um, oh, I just wanted to mention that movie I couldn't think of before. It's called Sleep Tight. It's directed by Jamu Bagalero. Um, and it was released in 2011. Um, apartment concierge Caesar is a miserable person who believes he was born without the ability to be happy. His self-appointed task is to make life hell for everyone around him, um, a mission in which he has great success. So basically it's him torturing everyone in this apartment building which he works. <laughs> hmm. I'll watch it. Sounds yeah. fun. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Sounds very wreck, but with a miserable per- old man ex- instead of a um instead of a zombie. <laughs> yeah, it stays on our apartment theme. Yes, actually, the Spanish have made a really good um have a good use of apartment building horror movie. There's one called um uh, the woman in the window. Or no, not the woman in the window. I, no, I'm going to butcher that one as well. Um, it's basically uh, Jane Eyre, except if the crazy ex-wife was in a uh, locked in a panic room. <laughs> Oh wow, that sounds great. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of ones I've just been going. I need to watch this. I need to watch this, and I need to watch this. Um, no, Spanish horror and Spanish filmmaking is just um, I'm I'm going through a real mad Spanish phase at the moment. Yeah, have you seen The Last Circus? No. That's uh, from 2010. It's a Spanish-French dark comedy drama written by Alex de la Iglesia. Uh, I loved this thing when I saw it, and I'd mm. be. Ex- to hear your take on it mm. it's about a clown and visually it's just really it just stuck with me oh interesting no this looks really fascinating yeah i think if we're going to be trading spanish films <laughs> yes I, I would love to hear your take on that one and i'll track track down sleep tight yes excellent um and with that we are going to go into a uh movie that also i think well I don't know, I was the one person who went and saw this at the cinema because my partner is a massive 2000 AD comics. Is that it? Nice. Should look that up, fan. So um, this was the big Dread, uh, Judge Dread redemption story. That is Dread from 2012. Uh, now, Dirk, what trailer would you show in front of Judge Dread? Oh, no, just Dread. Not Judge Dread. That's a very different uh, movie. Very different. Uh, so I went with Future Force from 1989. Perfect. <laughs> For the bounty hunters of the future. You've committed a crime. David Carradine is setting the standard in... You have a right to die. Future Force. Try to be a nice guy. A mercenary police force. An undercover reporter. I want her dead in a box six feet in the ground! I'm only going to say this once. Don't get in my way. A city gone insane. Uh, David Carradine with a laser shooting robo arm. Uh, This trailer rules. It, It does. It's so good. I love this trailer so much. And the fact that it's like, well, David Carradine's not badass enough. He's like slinging a six-shooter like he's in Westerns, but he also, let's give him a robo-arm that he can literally shoot off and punch people in the face. Um, yeah, Future Force, that's how I want to uh, give people a little reprieve after wreck and let them know that we're moving on to, to this type of film. Um, no, this is an amazing, fun movie. I actually don't know if it's amazing, but it's very fun and very inventive, very and fun. you're watching it going again i didn't know you could do that in a movie but in a very different way to wreck because it's it's more like going huh um more than oh my god what did you just do why am i feeling like this kind of thing with wreck um so no that is an absolutely perfect trailer i'd recommend if you can track it down i think it is on youtube that's where i saw it it. it's uh, um it's it's a hoot of a insane movie yes um Actually, you know what? Screw it. I'm going uh, Resident Evil for 2002 as my first trailer. Bringing it back. The first one, yeah. 
Oh my god. We have to get out of this building. What was that? It's the brakes! It's okay, we're here to help. Now, an elite team has been sent in to stop it. Five hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal. Who's the Red Queen? State-of-the-art artificial intelligence. The corporation's keeping a few secrets down here. But they have only three hours left before it begins infecting and mutating the whole human race. Everyone stay calm. You have to get out. Don't listen to anything she says. She's a holographic representation of the Red Queen. She may be our only way out of here. Um, I didn't. I only saw this the first time last year. Um, I decided that I had never seen any Resident Evil movies, and I watched the first five. I want to say um, two of them are set in an apartment building. Yeah, one the one that's set in an apartment building where they're waiting for the boat. I I've think it's the last one and two. Oh, they get insane. Like three is actually worth it. Three is directed by Russell Mulcahy. And it feels oh, like a uh, Rus- well, I'll watch that for sure. I yeah, it, and it feels like a Russell Mulcahy movie made a Resident Evil movie, not right. a Resident Evil movie. But the first one's fun. I mean, it's dopey. It's got the most two thousand and two cast you could ever possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really dopey, really fun. It uses some really great sort of techniques. Um, I don't know the video game at all, but yeah, it is a just a really solid, good zombie movie that is a whole lot of fun. And I think you're right. I think if you meshed Wreck and Dread together, you do get Resident Evil, so that is going to be my trailer. <laughs> I did watch uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen the latest one yet. Last year. People say it's closer to the video games. I don't I don't know, but it is. I did enjoy it. Mm. A lot of people did not. But, uh, everything's divisive apparently now. But, oh, it um, is. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed it. I know Mark enjoyed it as well, Mark Warner. So, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough about that. My second trailer is Future Zone from 1990. This oh. is the sequel to Future Force from 1989. <laughs> In the future, the rules have changed. Who the hell are you? John Tucker, civilian operated police. You have committed a crime and been found guilty. You have a right to die. Nobody's that fast. Nobody. Should ask my opinion. David Carradine. Right place. Gotta work on our timing. Ted Pryor. Future Zone. So, uh... David Carradine and Ted Pryor. You know Ted Pryor's in it because in the trailer they keep telling you David Carradine and Ted Pryor. And you're oh like, my oh, god! <laughs> um, it's amazing. There's zingers and one-liners galore in this trailer. There's ladies in bikinis. There's the robo arm. I just thought, like, how amazing would it be to you see a trailer for Future Zone and then you see another trailer and then all of a sudden you see a trailer for the sequel to the trailer you had just seen uh, in one evening. I've never heard of that, and I think it would be hilarious to see David Carradine come back. That is absolutely amazing. I love it so much because I have not seen uh, Future Future Force, is it? Future Zone is the Future time. Zone. I have not seen Future Zone. They got and... 30 years in the past to solve a crime. 
<laughs> oh shit. Yeah, it's basically so they can use cheaper cars, I think, to blow up. Yeah. Oh my god, that is um, that is that is amazing. I'm gonna have to try and watch that because that looks. Watch the trailer. They're both on YouTube, and they're both works of art. When I was like trying to pick, I was like, "There's just no picking." And then I thought, "Hold on a second. Both. But I can do both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be okay. You know what? I'm gonna keep with the future thing. But instead of rooting for the uh, more authoritarian government that is the judges, I am going to go for V for Vendetta from 2005, directed by James McTeague. Excuse me, miss. I'm sorry. No, you're not. But you will be. The only verdict is vengeance. The Vendetta. If our government was responsible for the deaths of a hundred thousand people, you really want to know? We're getting back at them for what they did to you. What was done to me was monstrous. And they created a monster. Fear became the ultimate tool of this government. I want this country to realize that we stand on the edge of oblivion. I want everyone to remember why they need us. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Um, yeah, I don't know why this is more of a feeling. I don't think that completely relates to it, but I do love this movie a lot. Yeah, well, something's got to get us out of the 89, 1990. <laughs> I brought this in, so that's great. We really did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did have a runner-up, The Darker Hour from two, Darkest Hour from 2011. Oh, okay. Uh, Emil Hirsch. Joel Kinnaman, mm. there's electro aliens that come to Russia to destroy the world. Uh, it was shot in 3D. I've never met anyone that's seen this film. <laughs> no, another, another one I had not heard of. Um, I was going to go that, or I was going to go V for Vendetta or Training Day. Oh, um, oh, wow, that's good too. Yeah, but I decided, to, because we were so in the future, that I decided to go, you know what, let's go for another uh, fascist-esque um, uh, future. But with... Um, I don't even know what he's called. Uh, Hugo Weaving's character, um, Guy Fawkes. I think. I think it is actually just Guy Fawkes. Um, I love the fact that they built. Alan Moore wrote a comic, built around and uh, Guy Fawkes Day, which is a day that I am constantly have to justifying to people who weren't did not grow up in the Commonwealth as into why it's a thing. <laughs> That we celebrate, a, that the day is celebrated, especially in um, Britain, where an attempt, attempted murder was made on like King Charles the Second or King, uh, King Charles the Third or something, um, and he was executed by being burned alive. Therefore, um, yeah, we you have fireworks and bonfires. Um, I, that is an actual day. That is what remember, remember the fifth of November is actually Guy Fawkes Day, and that is what happens, and that is why it is, <laughs> as oh, it is. Messed up. And it is a it is a public it was not so much a public holiday where I grew up, but we had that was the night you were let off fireworks. And I know in Britain they do go for the whole hog of bonfires and everything like that. So um, I've had many American come up to me and goes, "What the hell is Guy Fawkes Day?" And I'm like, "Oh God, do I have to explain it?" Okay, fine. There was this guy <laughs> tried to kill wow. the king, <laughs> sixteen something or rather, and for some reason it stuck. <laughs> Dirk is just like, oh, well, they just went too dark even for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so dark. I would only talk about that once a year, I guess. Yes, I and mean, it happens once a year. But V for Vendetta is a glorious, glorious movie and a glorious, glorious book if you've never read it. And with that, we are going to go into a movie that had no right being this good, I don't think. For some reason, 
Um, even though it was produced by Alex Garland, whose new trailer, Men, has got me so excited because I did not think I wanted a movie with that many Joel, uh, Rory, um, Rory Kilmans in it, but we're getting it. And Dread gave me a movie I didn't think wanted, but it was that good. 800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. Peace Trees is the manufacturing base for all the slow-mo in Mega City One. You know how often we get a judge up in Peace Trees? Well, you got one now. She has control of everything. Levels one to 200. This is Mama. Somewhere in this block are two judges. That's not good. I want him dead. We're gonna have to go through him. Rookie, you ready? Yeah. You look ready. Fire! Judgment time. Um, I know this, I saw this when this came out, did you? I did, uh, yes. It's one of the few 3D films that I was like, I've got to see this in the theater. Mm. Um, since we're going to be talking 3D, do you have a favorite 3D film experience? No, uh, it might be this one, because I remember hating 3D with a passion, because I always got a headache from it. Yeah. Um, so I never loved 3D, and that friggin' from 2009 to about 2013, was the yeah. worst time to go to the movies because everything was goddamn in 3D. Um, and then they charged you extra to get a headache. Um, so, no, I don't. I never particularly enjoyed it, um, but I do remember really enjoying this movie. So I think this is probably my favorite 3D um, experience, especially with the with slow-mo. <laughs> yes, the slow-mo. So genius. So genius. Uh. My favorite would be, if not this, it would be the Piranha remake. By Alexander Aja. I never saw that, so yeah, I think. Oh my were... gosh, Lindsay! You gotta see Piranha. Don't see Piranha, Double D or whatever the second one is, but the first, this one is Alexander Aja like having so much fun and playing with 3D, and there's a sequence that I won't spoil for you, but <clears throat> something's missing from a gentleman, and it's floating in the middle of the screen right in front of your face and just turning around in the water in 3D, it's so gloriously gratuitous on purpose. Yeah. Uh, in a humorous way. And there's a sequence involving a bunch of spring breaker partiers on a lake that just goes so nuts and goes so hard that like, it was seeing it in a theater, you were just like, this doesn't belong to be in a theater. This feels like nasty and dirty. Like, what is this, you know? And um, yeah, so I, I that, that was super fun, but thread for all rights and purposes this thing is so well constructed so well made and again doesn't didn't feel long i feel like it keeps its pace and it's just so good there should have been so much more of this there should have been there should we should be up to the fourth sequel by now um yeah. of the dread of the dread franchise but we didn't because people didn't go see this um and i'm angry um it because most movies um, back in this day, were just retrofitted to be 3D. They weren't actually thinking about how do you actually construct a 3D movie. Looking at Dread, they were like, oh no, we're making a 3D movie. And it is absolutely um, amazing. It is so tactile. Everything about this tactile, not just when you yeah. get into slow-mo and you see like 
you know, a chunk of water falling slowly back into the tub when you first meet, see Lena, Hetty, or thing, but Dredd's costume is so friggin' tactile. I don't know what it is about it. There's something about how it's filmed where you can almost kind of, um, they'll see the ridges and the scars and the, and the, the old leather of his costume. There's something kind of glorious about the whole, the way the building, um, the apartment building looks. Um, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, the uh, cinematographer was interested in space and textures, mm. and doing something super different. So he wanted like a visceral 3D without gimmicks. Um, yeah. And he created the first handheld 3D camera because all the rigs were super huge. And so yeah. you can actually see them with this special camera that they built for an action movie, mind you, based on a comic book. Like yes. that's respect to both the subject and the field. And they also used a new phantom camera, which is what enabled them to shoot in the slowest extreme slow motion and also do it in 3D, which is like so cool. Like there's the first shots of, of like action or gore in this movie. I was like, oh, we're going there? That's yes. What do? Like, I, I completely oh. forgot that because um, it kind of was bad timing that this and The Raid came out pretty yeah. much the same time. I mean, because The Raid is a very similar movie. In terms of cop in a building, everyone wants to kill them and they will do so. And Raid is a very much a much more visceral, much more fast paced. I probably like the Raid more purely just because of just how intense the action gets. Sure. Um, but Dread is so inventive and you're right. I mean, um, most 3D movies around this time are very dark or seemingly dark. This one is just full color. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's built, it feels a constructed movie to be 3D and let's see what we can actually do with this gimmick since everyone's insisting that we have it. And yeah, the fact that you get those three guys and they're being skinned alive, given slow-mo, then dropped off a 50-story, however tall that building is. Um, like 200 floors or something. 200-something floors. It's, it's established that this is the tallest building in the area. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and that is the first action you see in this movie and when you sort of see them going we're falling very slowly and you realize oh my god that must be horrible you're just there's no <laughs> falling is instant you do it very relatively quickly to have yeah. that be kind of your final moments of ooh, falling is oh my god it's so well done yeah, I love it. You see, like, a bullet go through, go through someone's face, mm. and I was just like, what? Like, blood shoots out of their mouth, and it's gorgeous. And that's It is. Thing. I don't know why the blood had to be sparkly, but um, I forgive it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just having it catch the light. And yeah. It's, just, it's so, like, such an interesting approach to the whole, whole violent situation. And yeah, because this is a violent movie. I mean, I love how they made... Um, I assume this is before Game of Thrones, before Lena Headey really made it big with being the other most brutal woman on the face of the planet. But I love how Mama Mama is um, brutal. She is yeah. not kind of the cunning female villain that you often see. She is a lady that will poke your eyes out. Um, yeah. And I didn't realize that was Donald Gleason until I saw her this time around. I went, wait, is that meant to be Donald Gleason who she's like poking the eyes out of? Um, or someone he knows or something like that. Um, that's why he's got the weird eyes yeah robot uh, eyes. Yeah, and she's brutal and the fact that she is just willing to kill every single person in that apartment building who happens to live there because she doesn't want to get wood harris she doesn't want them leaving with wood harris is insane the balls on her 
um, just as a bad guy um, in a dystopian, very controlled society is um, is intense, and she plays it almost stone, and I love her for that. Yeah, I agree. She she is amazing. I think actually the cast is all very solid. Mm. I forget the actress's name that's with Dread. Olivia something. Hang on, I have it written here. Um, Olivia, Olivia Thilby, Thrillby. Yeah, she. I mean, she fits the character for what, but it's just not that interesting when you're up against like Dread and Mama and like even the the guy that they have that they're trying to escort out of the building like mm. he's fantastic and they just kind of like like she's psychic and like not very convincing i didn't understand why she would be a dread she seems like small like me i don't know it just was, I was like this is a weird no I, yeah it's, she's kind of the person that's meant to be the or, or, or audience surrogate but i don't think it completely works because i think they rely too heavily on she's nice and she's psychic um, yeah. and I think they were like way too heavily on, uh, I like the psychic element to it though. Yes. Um, but I think they rely too much on that for her character and especially cause she's kind of meant to be the conduit, which with, which is what, how we see this world. Um, mm. which, which I think is smart in one way. Cause I think seeing Liza through Dredd's character could get a bit samey. So, because he's a robot, I know he's meant to be human, but he's not, um, even how he speaks is very robotic. So I think um from being his perspective it could get a bit i need to do this this and this to have her go question a, th a few things is interesting but i think the character isn't written strong enough considering you have Le lena hetty killing us as um as mama and just being terrifying and it's yeah there's something missing there i'm not kind of sure what it is but i agree with you yeah and Dread is kind of like, I really like Carl Urban as, that's him, right? Yeah. Okay, as Dread. Uh, it's kind of like if Clint Eastwood was RoboCop, is kind of like what's happening there. It really is, yeah. You know, it's like kind of the gritty voice and he's like restricted movements from his suit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he's fantastic. I would have watched easily four more of these. Um, I was shocked to find out the... There's a part in the first, I think it's the first slow-mo kills where you see someone's like stomachs rippling and stuff all in slow-mo. Yes. And that's not CG. That was actually done with air. And then they just filmed <laughs> it with the 3D camera. And when you watch it, it's like really disturbing. It really is. Cause they really get into it. I think someone's face does a similar thing. in yeah. when he's shooting up the apartment, you see someone's face just like, cause that's there's true. a blast and their face just kind of ripples as well. Yeah, they're like hitting them with air and then inserting the digital effect and then adding all the blood stuff. And yeah. It's like so layered when you see other movies where they're just like, they just make the face do the thing in 3D and it looks like garbage. <laughs> it just doesn't look good. This looks great. And it was made a while ago. It really was. It was 2012. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of incredible that they... I mean, they've been trying to make Do Dread for a while. I mean, we famously, which I movie, I said we're nearly watching, um, Judge Dread with uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, which was a very, very different movie because. Or wait, no, that was Demolition Man. Never oh, Demolition Man. Wait. I <laughs> know, uh, I because I said Wesley Snipes. I don't think he's in Judge Dread. Oh no, 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 he isn't. I can't remember. I've only I haven't seen Judge Dread since I was a kid. But yeah, same thing with this the both movies. Stallone's not going to play a, a stoic um, 
man who doesn't take off his helmet. And um, so, and it's, I mean, yeah, you can get enjoyment out of this movie, but if you want, because I know when my partner finished watching it, he goes, oh, they finally did Dread the way he was meant to be. This very robotic man who has no feeling taking out the bad guys, and that's kind of what it is, because he's a creation of his surroundings, which is there's been an atomic blast, people are living now in this kind of mega city, um, which is kind of controlled, and um, yeah, that's kind of the plot. It's a really, it's like, wreck, really simple plots, but what they do with it are just so fascinating. Yeah, we're going to go to the top of the building in both these movies. <laughs> yes, yes we are. <laughs> uh, I also like the sequence where there's the, they gas the stairs. Pretty awesome. Oh my God, when they get the Gatling cannons is insane. Yeah, the courtyard machine gun section. Where yes. Slaughtering everybody. Uh, I just was like, that sequence happened. And I was like, whoa, this is wild that we're here. And then he switches the gun to incendiary shot. I love that part. Um, it's pretty wild. He shoots a guy in the foot and then crushes his throat, and you see the indention in his throat, like one of the guys that's a that's a judge that shows up to catch him. Yes. Yeah, I didn't notice that until the second viewing, that you can see the indent in his mm. throat. I was like, that is dark. I know, this movie is really dark. I mean, it's bright and colorful. There's so much color. I mean, when you ever get into a slow-mo kind of um, shot, it's just light and glitter and all this kind of thing. But when you actually sort of realize that um, Mama is literally killing everybody on the specific floor to get the judges. Um, yeah. She's not caring about anything. The fact that she shuts everything down that you can't, no one can get out, much like Greg. Yeah. Purely because of this one thing, and it's um, so her kind of her what her enterprise does not get out. It is um, it's kind of insane and it's dark and it's brutal and you're watching it going whoa, I can't believe they're getting away with this. There's something, it feels like they're getting away with something. Yeah, it's true. And I bet, you know, James Gunn probably saw this movie and then was later on like, I bet I could do some sparkly uh, violent effects, you know, with the Suicide Squad or something like that. Or even Guardians. I mean, that prison feels yeah. scene feels very reminiscent of this movie. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I don't think this film gets enough credit for for what it did. The uh, Also, the ID arm explosion where the guy's gonna shoot her with i love the gun so much the fact that you can change the gun to what kind of bullet or stun or because we did with the two kids like letter henley is basically telling people who live in this building i will come you i don't think it actually explains it says this but they're basically going around trying to kill dread so i'm guessing there's no reprisals on them later on um, mm-hmm. that you're not housing them. I mean, I love the scene where the, he, the two kids are like, okay, we're going to shoot you, and he just looks at them, sits to stun, and then shoots them. It's um, it's it's such a glorious moment that you can kind of see the different functions of, of this particular gun. Um, yeah. It's it's so well thought out. Most of it's probably from the comics, but the fact that they're able to illustrate it this way on screen is perfect. Yeah, and the way that his partner goes from, like, you know, I'm not so sure I'm going to kill somebody to like seeing a man's arm explode right in front of her. And then she just machine guns a guy's face off. It just like escalates so quickly that you're like, and they hold on the guy getting his face machine gunned off for like a Robocop amount of time. Like, they really do. This you, movie is very influenced by Robocop. <laughs> yeah. If you watch, go watch this movie again and just pay attention to how many bullets you see pass through someone's face in the sequence. It's pretty impressive. 
It's pretty great. And then I love the line, the city is a fucking meat grinder. People go in one end and meat comes out the other. I was like, whoa, okay. And it kind of, they're not, I don't think they're particularly wrong on that. Um, I oh. mean, yeah, I think this movie is so, such a Robocop kind of movie because you've got a feeling that Dredd was once a human, but he's just been grinded down by the system that he's now just a, he sees people buy their um, infringements, like that poor guy, oh my God, the poor guy begging for money by the thing. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, I completely forgot about that one because he's like, don't be back when I, what did I tell you? Don't be here when I came back. And then it all shuts down and he doesn't move quick enough. And oh my God, you just see like an arm or something. Yeah. <laughs> His movie is so brutal, but in the best way that it just captures who Mama is so quickly that you're like, oh, she will hurt. She will not just kill you, but she will maim you to the, this will not be a nice death. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also this, this section where Judge runs out of bullets or Dread runs out of bullets. Mm -hmm. And then he's hiding behind the wall and the guy's like, well, I forget what he says, but it's like the high impact version of bullets and they mm. shoot through the wall and Judge drops down and the guy comes around and, and Dredd goes, wait. And the guy's like, wait, your last word is wait. Mm. So, and then he gets killed by the lady and you're, you know, it's pretty funny. And then he does the field dressing, the Rambo style field dressing. Yes, standard issue. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Always, always awesome. Oh, when those stitches close, I went, I went, ow. <laughs> yeah. Gloriously, you know, does not shy away from it. Mm. And then I love what they say, let's finish this. And then the drums kick in and then yes. they just start killing people. And it's like, this is what I want people to understand. It's like when I said this about remakes and horror films, if you're going to make one and you're going to give your first kill off screen, you've lost so much good favor with us. Mm. Give us a good kill so that we'll give you a letter, another 20 or 30 minutes to win us over. In action films and things like this, it needs to progress and keep going. Mm. And we really want the parts where you say a cool line and then the drums kick in and then you just start killing the bad guys. <laughs> like Even when this movie makes you wait for the I am the law. Um, right. And when it does, it is completely understated. It is just because yep. you... Because he doesn't inflict that much. He's just, Carl Urban's um, performance is very um, level. Yes. Like, you can tell he doesn't, this is not a person that has any emotions whatsoever. Uh, much much like Leda Hetty. Like, she does not um, portray any, she, she honestly looks like she's high most of the time, which is I, what I love about her performance. Yeah. Um, but when he sort of says, I am the law, it's halfway through. And again, it's that cool line. And you know he means it. It's, um, it's like, oh, shit. Things are about to get really serious now because he's said that line, which everyone has been waiting for, for him to say. Um, and it is such a, yeah, so you're right. I mean, an action movie needs to build and you need those cool moments. You need those kills. Um, you need that action. And this movie does it and it's all different. Kind. I mean, yeah, it's brutal a lot of the times, but a lot of it is, there's a variety. Um, yeah. So you get the guys falling off the buildings. You get the shootout in the apartment. You get the grappling cannons, which is like just destruction and then you really start to see um dread and um a rookie let's keep calling a rookie um fighting back and or the first time that the rookie kills someone he's unarmed he's but he has yes. committed the crime and he just yeah. looks at her going and then you find out that he was just living in the building that he just got caught up in something to try and protect yeah. his family and got killed by the judges i love how the judge's law is just as unfair as uh, Mama's Lord. 
or they're not <laughs> particularly things you want to get caught up in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. It's, it's so good. And because they give us this big action piece of them slaughtering bad dudes, when they face off with Mama, then there's not, you know, a need for this long drawn out John Woo gunplay sequence mm. or something, you know? It's like they face off face to face, say their pieces, and then she's taking a she's taking a long fall off a tall building she really is because she also gets the uh the the slow-mo and um she's always smiling when that happens i think she's just like all right you got me (laughs) you got me i I can't yeah i can't say anything else about this she got me um enya song and this like (laughs) just feel and this slow like swan dive and then just when you think you're not gonna see her hit the ground yeah, we see are it. under the ground and we see her face squish and the blood shoot out and it's like so beautiful it's it you just feel the meticulous way that every single kill and every shot they're like how can this look cool how can we use the technology that we're shooting this in and uh and i think that that level of care is what makes this both like entertaining and so visually memorable it really does this movie is so visually memorable um it is i mean i know when it came out people were getting annoyed about the slow-mo because it was so slow um but i think that's the point because you are meant to be in these people's heads when they're high um and it is kind of this extreme version of what it's like to be kind of high that you're just like going hey guys (laughs) um and the fact that you see Lena Headey high the first time you see her, but then you have all these inventive moments of the, the amount of times this movie will show you different angles of someone getting shot, falling off a building, mm-hmm. um, stabbed, hand explode. It's insane. It's like all the different angles you would not even have thought of that they would do. Um, yeah. They do. And it's a brutal, brutal movie, but in the best possible way, because this is kind of what you want from this movie you don't want it to be safe you don't want it to not take chances you want it to go all right we're doing a judge dread movie we're doing dread let's do this this is known to be a violent violent um comic book um this is meant to be these guys are absolute fascists and let's show them be what they are and um you mostly feel sorry for the people living in the apartment more than anything else (laughs) oh for sure it sucks for the people in peachtree Oh my god! Um, it would so suck. It's just like, oh my god! I'm gonna, ha- I'm, I'm, I'm not even saving my apartment because I got a freaking Gatling cannon. And they're gonna shoot me. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I hope that they prorate the rent there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's such a great point you mentioned about it, the grittiness of it, because I don't know the source material, mm. but there are other superhero comic book characters that keep getting grittier and grittier reboots and movies and things, mm. and I think that's. For people who love that that's wonderful but the thing that this movie does so well is it's like if it's gonna go gritty and hard in the paint with gore it's doing it in such a fun inventive way it is as an audience member you're like this is really fun unlike a movie i just watched that was three hours long and it wasn't fun to watch and i don't remember anything that happened in it and i never want to see it again (laughs) dread i want to revisit and i want to come on a podcast and get to talk to you about it yeah you do because when you're watching it you realize how inventive this movie is and it's kind of a joy to watch you're not kind of going okay is it over yet no no we've still got the oh god still got that one last act and the third (laughs) act doesn't last that long i mean once they get up into the to the friggin' penthouse all she has is to go look i have a bomb on my wrist what are you gonna do about it and he's like it's gonna push you off a building what do i care (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> There's no long drawn out like, well, Mr. Bond, here's my whole plan. She's like, these are my cards. And he's like, all right. Well, all right. Oh. On your bluff. Yeah. <laughs> out you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the fact that you see her reflection in a screen when she's falling is even better as well. I mean, the way that yeah. uses reflection and Close. angle and the fact that, yeah, you see her face like squish into the thing. Mm -hmm. And you're getting her what she feels in her final moments because she's seeing everything at one percent speed um when she's falling is is glorious yeah i mean the impact alone would be like so awful that's oh. not the part you want to have last no that is not and that and it's kind of just desserts for her because that's what she did to three people at the beginning so it's uh -huh. kind of um it's kind of oh well you did that to someone now it's happened to you so you've only really yourself to blame in that situation um but oh, I love Lena in this. She is such a badass, awful okay. human being as a villain. And it's perfect. She does not hold back. I mean, no. what she's doing to um, poor Donald Gleeson when he's having to get into the network to close. Cause, like, she's, like, sitting over him essentially going, you're going to yeah. do it? You're going to do it? And he's having to, like, scream at someone to try and get it done. And then when he's talking to the um, judges, she literally has a knife to his belly, which, again, not a way you want to die because no. that's a slow, awful death. Um, and it's kind of amazing. Like, she's – the people who work for her are either doing it by hostage or they're doing it because they can get something out of it until she decides to murder them. I cannot say enough good things about her performance. She is high up to her eyeballs – but yet still cunning. I mean, I keep saying, keep wondering, is what she doing impulsive? But it feels very calculated at the same time. Like, I couldn't decide. Yeah. The, the joy of her performance is you don't know where she sits, whether she's thinking all this through or she's working completely by impulse. You don't know. And it's a wonderful thing to try and see uh, Rookie and uh, Dread trying to work through this maze of complete chaos. Yeah, I also uh, just really applaud how her she just her appearance and again yeah. i don't have the source material but i love characters in horror and action uh films that have a look whereas like if you saw someone at a halloween party that was her mm. you'd be like oh my gosh i know this deep cut reference you i know who you are like that's so cool and you would spot that because it's such a memorable character and yeah that, that performance is so so spellbinding yeah, especially with the scars on her face and the fact yeah. that they don't mince words. She was a sex worker. She got cut. Now she's one of the. Now she's a up and coming drug dealer, um, and she is brutal. She will kill you. This is not. And it's it's yeah, it's an actual kind of threat to Judge Dredd because I think he's sometimes the character that feels impenetrable. But no, he's not. He's just a guy in a very bullet clad suit uh, that you can't yeah. really get at. But um, when you get someone like Mama going after him, then. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see Dread run into Batman. Yes. Of like a vigilante, you know? Yes, because they're kind of the exact same, but one's a vigilante and one's actually the law. Yeah. Because <laughs> he says, exactly. I am the law. Um, no, this movie is does everything just so friggin' well that um, I'm so sad that it didn't make any money and the fact that it... Mm. Pete Travis hasn't made that much after it either, and I'm kind of sad because I think he was actually a really solid director. Like, um, oh, yeah. yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's glorious. Yeah, I totally agree, and super fun, and I think it would be, 
it'd be just so cool to have it show again like you know we get excited to see films in 35 millimeter when they come back to a theater and it's like i would love to see if dread got like a 3d like just a touring screening you know yeah have the chance to see because it was filmed that way it wasn't like converted over like a clash of the titans or one of those where it was you know quick quick 3d's a thing (laughs) we got to do everybody and then you watch it and you're like why why (laughs) is this this way you know it's like when i saw piranha it's because it was in 3d or um what is it my bloody valentine yes which actually 3d yes you know you see the pickaxe go through the person's head at you with the eyeball on the end of it and you're like glorious this is what we use 3D for, people. Yes. Have you yeah. seen Friday the 13th Part 3? That I mean, yeah. it's that's a dumb movie, and I love it. I really do. But that yeah. that they were thinking at least, quick, quick, we need 3D things. What can we use? Right, an eyeball. Right, a snake yeah. coming at you very fast. I mean, yes. you have to kind of... 3D is a gimmick, and if you don't use it, you're just watching something with depth perception. That's it. And then I get a headache, and then I get cranky. <laughs> Well, and, and like, like we said at the top of this episode, like these directors are working in something that could easily be con- conceived or co- perce- perceived mm. as gimmicks. And yes. instead, because the cinematographer is like, I'm interested in textures and mm. this, and, you know, not just like the hand coming at you or whatever. Mm. And then we have, you know, um, Wom from the, uh, from Rec, who's like, you know interested in the storytelling techniques but then how to manipulate where we are as an audience and what's going on at and times. how to actually use the camera a held yes. and yeah, yeah like it's not just okay you can rewind the camera and watch playback you can turn it off you can use this night vision there's a whole bunch of things you can do with it why don't we use it as a progression to tell to tell the story right and in and in rec like they're not just showing us the rewind and the fast forward to be like hey look i can do this you're watching it because of Angela is re- facing the fact that she just saw someone murdered. Like yeah. she's up death and she, she needs to re-see it. So there's a character, there's a reason. And so that's, I think the difference between using like uh, found footage in Wreck or what they're doing in Dread is like the whole reason behind why they're showing us the blood in slow motion or the action in this way. Like these directors and cinematographers had it a point of view and a reason to use these tools that in other people's hands wouldn't be as entertaining or you'd ever want to return to. Exactly. And um, both of these are kind of the best examples of, because I didn't even think of this when you mentioned this double. I was just thinking, oh, cool, destruction in apartments. That's really smart. Um, But when you sort of look at it this way and looking at how they actually use, they're both kind of at the height, or not height, because um, I think by 2006, um, the found footage craze was kind of slightly dying out, but I do remember people talking about Rex. 2007 was about to bring us paranormal activity. So it was about to come back. Um, it was about to go crazy big, because I think they shot yeah. like 50,000 or something, and it made a 900 million or something. Which always had, like, same thing happened with Blair Witch, because I remember it was big after Blair Witch, because everyone was trying to copy it. Yep. And then you're right, it was dying down. And then Rex, when did Cloverfield come out? Like, I was so irritated with that movie. Me too. I wanted to say it was later, but the early 2000s are kind of a mishmash for me. Oh, also 2008. Um, so yeah, you have okay. sort of 2008, um, 2006 year of wreck, you have um, freaking paranormal activity, and it all comes back in a big bad way. And that's, I think, um, and then you have this second boom, which I think is the really one everyone just went, 
Ugh, gonna be over. Um, yeah, but I think Rick is the best example of what you can actually do with that kind of technique and how you can actually broaden the story and show thematics. Like, again, the rewind, it's not because it's cool, but it's because a character has to deal with the fact that she's seen something horrific and she needs to process it. Um, The same with um, Dread, which you could all listen to my reaction when I talk about how I hated 3D. Um, But this movie is probably one of the best examples of it because it is actually... Okay, so if we're going to show 3D, we need to make it colourful, we can play with the texture, and we have this thing we can use slow-mo, which we can really play with the audience. And mm-hmm. it's used to really great effect, that it is um, all about, okay, so when they're high, they see things slowly, oh shit, what if someone's causing massive violence against them? What happens if they're falling off a building? Um, why would people want to take this thing in the first place? And you're kind of showing it there and showing kind of the... the Again, the thematics of the movie through the technique. Um, Whereas you just convert Clash of the Titans or one of the friggin' Alice in Wonderland movies and all of a sudden you're just like going, but why was this in 3D in the yeah. first place? There was no point. If you're going to do 3D, through, do 3D. And also nothing feels real in those movies because they're mm. so computer-generated images. And like in this, they shot Johannesburg and then just dropped in the giant towers like the beech tree. Like yeah. a lot of what you see of that outside city is real city. And it feels real, even though you're watching this like sci-fi- Mad Max era. <laughs> yeah, it's like those aerial shots and everything, it feels like uh, when I saw District 9 and I was just like, we can do all this? Like what is, this feels real and doesn't feel cartoony, you know? And I just, I really admire that. It doesn't. I love the first few moments of this movie. The um, the condition of the um, exposition of this is what's happened. We're in the future. This is the mega city. I'm a judge. Go. Um, yeah. There's a few moments where they have to go and explain what slow mo it, it kind of is after you've seen someone fall from the building, even though you've got a good idea of what it is. Um, there's a few moments where they'll put in a few bits of exposition. Um, but this movie doesn't really need it. It's only there just to fill in a few other people, but you get everything from the visuals, except for that first moment. I'm like, boom, I'm in. I know exactly what this movie is. And the fact that it is so condensed um, and so perfectly done that you don't need this whole big thing of what's, what's the backstory? Who is Who are these judges? Where did they start? No, this is a futuristic city. It's dystopia. There's a lot of crime. They made the judges that's all you need to know and And i'm so glad you said that about flashbacks because my god so many movies are like and here's how judge dread and i'd be like i don't care i don't need it i'm i would rather stay in the moment right now with the momentum you've built up before you let all the air out of the tires to show me something that i didn't ask about judge dread does not need a daughter that he's worried about okay i'm I'm talking about the first suicide squad the second one has it there but they start screaming a fuck you at which I think is hilarious, um, at each other. But most movies need to give their hero, again, you go back, and I'm bitching on freaking Judge Dredd, I haven't seen it since 95. (laughs) Um, Carl Urban doesn't have the ego that Sylvester Stallone has, but to be fair, not many people do, Um, and I still love Sylvester Stallone, um, to wear the helmet the whole entire time. He doesn't need to take it off, he doesn't need the movie star moment. You give that to Rookie. Um, which is actually kind of a clever conceit of, oh, I'm a psychic. If I wear the helmet, it blocks my psychic thing. So there's actually, they gave her an actual reason for her to not wear the helmet, 
even though it feels weird, it's one of the reasons I'm like, why you do do you even want to be a judge? I mean, you can't even wear the helmet. <laughs> no. And also, the helmets looks like they really looks like it's visually obscuring what you can see. <laughs> the way that those little lines go right in front of where your eyes would be. That's my one thing that I kept going. Ah, just really bothers me. It really, really does. Um, I there's a thing with glasses they do that. There's like really stylistic. I'm like, but how do you see out of them? <laughs> I'd be turning my head sideways all the time, and they'd be like, are you looking at me? And I'd be like, yeah, sorry, my helmet makes it look weird. I can't <laughs> see you on directly. Can't, yeah, I have to go like this. Yeah, hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, no, and yeah, Carl Urban's performance is great. He does it very stoic. He does it very monotonous, but he's got a good-shaped face. Again, like, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Um, Mr. Um, Perfect Lips from Robocop. Um, he has a good face. Peter Weller. Peter yeah. Weller. I can't believe I've forgotten Peter Weller. He's got a good pout on him that you can kind of recognize. So it's got a strong, he's got a strong, he's got good jaw, which is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. And just the mobility of those two characters also. I know Peter Weller, like, he went through a whole thing talking about jazz and this whole, cause there's a crazy interview out there, but it's all just about how he would walk like Robocop. Mm. Just the, the, I don't know. It's fascinating to think about these characters putting on their their silly action outfits, but mm. then also really caring about how the movements are and what's really happening with the body. And mm. like you mentioned, the raid and the physicality of that. There's also like a a weird, more stoic physicality to these sort of mm. characters too that we don't really, I think, ever think about. But it's all part of the package of selling us on that this is a real character. Yeah, and it really does. Um, I love the fact that they speak in very robotic terms. Um, yes. They all do, except for the um, guy, one of the guys who's the corrupt judge who's about to kill me. There's a what? Wait is like one of your that final guy. lines. That guy is like, he's he's lost it. He's kind of just gone, fuck it, I hate this, all this. I'm not speaking in the stupid robotic language that you're all keep trying to get me to speak. Um, I do love the judge lady who's like, yeah, I'll get the drop on her. And if she gets the drop on me, I'll trick her. And then when she shows up in front of the psychic rookie, she's like, she'll hesitate. She just yeah, shoots, like, her. shoots her. It's <laughs> so great. She'll hesitate and then I'll shoot her anyway. Um, and then she goes up to us, hi, I'm a thing. She just goes, bang. I yep. can read your mind, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Both these movies are amazing. They are completely um, fantastic and it was such a great double because you're right, this isn't just about um, apartments being destroyed by uh, sort of chaos and fighting. It's about technique and how you fought a story through literally technique, um, especially things that would be seen as gimmicks and it's such a smart yeah. double. Thank you. Thanks for having me on because I love talking about these movies and I love getting to chat movies with you and uh, pick trailers. Yes, no, um, I'm so glad to have you on again. Like I know you've suggested another one that got really excited about and just a warning, it's a dark one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's it's okay. There's, there's been a Paddington, since this, this has been about like a Paddington um, episode. So I'm sure that I can go <laughs> that other that other double. Um, but yeah. it's been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and this double is incredible. Yeah, definitely watch Wreck and Dread back to back. Um, you could actually watch Dread straight after Wreck because it's, um, even though it's an intense movie, it's more colorful and yeah more beautiful to look at and is not quite doing the same things that Wreck is doing to your soul, where it is. <laughs> That's so true. Um, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Oh yeah, so VHS, uh, you can find us on 
I mean, anywhere you get your podcast, VHS podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at VHUS underscore podcast. Um, you'll see there we do like giveaways. There's original artwork for most of the episodes. Um, yeah, I show lots of stacks of DVDs lately and tell people, ask people which one's their favorite. Um, that's where most of everything takes place. There is a website, vh-us.com, but that's just where you'll find our episodes. I'm sure you can find them on wherever mm. you podcast. Uh, and then you can hear me here on Schlock and Awe. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I know. Time this episode comes out, we probably would have uh, nearly recorded the second episode, so you'll be like out like a month, like a few weeks after that. So there's going to be a lot of dirt coming up. <laughs> oh, great. I love that. Yes. It's always best when there's more dirt. Um, thank you so much for coming on with this double. This was an absolute joy to watch. Um, yeah, if you want to follow us on Schlock and Awe, it's Schlock and Awe 1 at Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me, it's on Twitter, it's Reading Geek. Also on Letterboxd. Um, and yeah, this has been an absolute blast. Um, this has been such a fun double. Um, and we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.